Judges chapter 9, title is Rise and Fall of Power, is a common theme that we see even in our days today, the rise and fall of powerful nations, the rise and fall of powerful people, rise and fall of powerful companies, the rise and fall of powerful named Fill it in the blank. Tonight we will see in Judges chapter 9 a couple few characters, Abimelech being one of those key characters, of someone who will rise but will also fall of power. And we will summarize at the end why he fell from power. And it'll be very obvious as we go through here. Now we start here in Judges chapter 9, verses 1 through 3, and it says, The Abimelech, the son of Yerobabal, went to Shechem to his mother's brothers and spoke with them and with all the family of the house of his mother's father, saying, Please speak in the hearing of all the men of Shechem, which is better for you, that all seventy of the sons of Yerubal, reign over you, or that one reign over you. Remember that I am your own flesh and bone. And his mother's brothers spoke all these words concerning him in the hearing of all the men of Shechem, and their heart was inclined to follow Abimelech, for they said, He is our brother." Now, it's interesting, we find here in these verses 1 through 3, Abimelech was the son of Yerobabel, which was the other name for Gideon. We see that in Judges 8.35. But he was not the clear successor to the father's place of leadership in the nation of Israel. This was for two reasons. One, first of all, God did not set up or establish any hereditary monarchy in Israel at that point. So there wasn't even set up by God to even have a king, let alone a delineage from Gideon to sons being one of the 70 being in power. And second of all, for the 69 other sons of Gideon, who might also want to succeed their father, they are not going to have that option here. Even though they would be the rightly heir of one of them, of 70 of them, (laughs) depending if they all lived in sequence. But we see here their heart was inclined to follow Abimelech because Abimelech went to his mother, Brothers who lived in Shechem. He must have been grown up since he was, his mother was from, Abimel, uh, from a Shechem. He must have grown up in Shechem and got to know these guys. And the guys got to know who, who, he, who he was. So Abimelech turned to his brothers, those who he were like and was kind of like him and from the same town, same heritage, same background, same this, same that. And he turned to them. And said to those brothers, what would you like to do? Would you like to be ruled over by 70 of the sons of Gideon? Or would you like one person to rule over you, to reign over you? Which 
He was, of course, referring to himself. And so how did these men of Shechem respond? They agreed. Well, wouldn't you? I'd rather have one leader to know who we're dealing with than trying to deal with 70 of them and, and them fighting over who's going to be reigning. I can understand. But that was not the main reason. We see at the very end of verse 3, the main reason is because they leaned on their own understanding. They leaned on someone who was like them. Not who was the most qualified or should be qualified or should be in the position of power and leadership. No, they went with someone who was like them. Very dangerous. Then we will see how that plays out. So the men of Shechem agreed with Abimelech. You could be our new leader. Perhaps even the king of Israel is what they're implying here. Is he wanted not to be just rule over just Shechem, but you could tell as we go on, they actually wanted to see him as being really the king. So in verse 4 and 5, we see what happens here, how he's going to come into power when you have 70 other, people, 70 other uh, heirs or sons of Gideon who really had priority and they so they gave him 70 shekels they the, the we'll see from here the 70 shekels of silver from the temple of Baal Berith with which Abimelech hired worthless and reckless men he went he got the people from the hood you know people from the who were just they probably just got out of the out of jail or something you know <laughs> they got the ones who had I don't care if I die or not I, I, I have nothing to live for let me I, I'll take the one shekel right it was 70 shekels there were 70 sons so a shekel per son it sounds like it was the going rate and they followed him then he went to his father's house of Ophrim Ophrah, and killed his brothers, the 70 sons of Jeroboam, on one stone. But Yothan, the youngest son of Jeroboam, was left because he hid himself. Well, at least the youngest was small enough, young enough, or smart enough. Or as they were killing the oldest to the youngest, by the time it got to number seven, he says, I better run and hide because if I, I'm, I'm certainly going to be next. But the relatives of Abimelech on his mother's side gave him the startup money to establish his leadership. My vote is for you. Let me give you the money and then you can go take out everyone else out so that you can be in power. And he did this, and, but in a way that they, they, they never imagined that he was going to be, he hired worthless and reckless men to kill all the, his brothers, making certain there would be never another challenge or a challenger to his leadership. And, but where did they get the money from? They got it from the temple that was dedicated to Baal. Always remember, a work that begun under the, under the name or the influence of the devil. If the devil's involved in the influence of what you're doing, it is not likely you're going to glorify God, guaranteed, nor will you bring any goodness from the men that you're trying to lead. You come into power a wrong way, it's never going to reap what you think you're going to sow. Bring in darkness to get into power, you're going to reap darkness. And so what happens? 
Abimelech killed his brothers with the support of his relatives on his mother's side, the men of Shechem we see here in those verses. They supported the plan because it was good for them. They were willing to do and go, and even though it's not right, it's not good, they were willing to do it because it benefited from them. They clearly understood and knew it wasn't morally right and good to, for Abimelech to come into power like that, to take leadership role like that, to do any of those, but it benefited them. And how many people today will say, I want you to be a leader, I want you to be in power, even though it's not morally good and right, and even if you cheat and do all kinds of things in power and take people out to get into that position, it's, it's better for us because you'll give us what we want. The men of Shechem said, hey, you're one of us. We're, we're voting for you because you look like us. You're we're part of us. You lived right here. And that's why we're going to put you, even though you don't qualify and it's not good, it's not morally right how you're going to do it, but we still want it because we're going to benefit from it. Nothing new into the sun. Verse 6, look what happened. And all the men of Shechem gathered together, all of Beth Milo, and they went and made Abimelech king. Ah, see, it wasn't just a leader over, it was a king beside the terebinth tree at the pillar that was in Shechem. It's almost hard to tell who was worse. Abimelech who did the murdering or the men of Shechem who approved of it. They had a say. You gave them money from a temple of the, of the devil, of Baal, and then you sitting there and you condone how he did business and how he got into power. You're just as guilty of that man being in power, Abimelech, as you are, then even though you're not in power, you're, you put him there. You're responsible. But this was an ungodly leader given to ungodly people who first rejected God's leadership over the nation. They rejected God being a leader over the nation and wanted their own king. And this is the first king you will, we find established. And then they embraced a cruel and brutal man of all things. Beth uh, Milo here is it derives from the verb meaning to be filled. Originally it referred to rampant or earthwork or a mound, but it was associated with fornications or fortresses. Some believe it was referring to, and it's identical to what he referred to later on, as the Tower of Shechem. A stronghold, a place where you went to, 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 to battle against the, the enemy and to go to high places so that they can't get you and shut you in and, and, uh, and fight from a, a higher level. But it's interesting, he says, beside the Terebinth terib, tree at the pillar that was in Shechem. It's ironic because Abimelech's coordination, when he became in the kind of coordinated or coordination of him being a king, took place at the same tree where Joshua had solemnly placed a copy of the law of God that we see if you look up that name in Joshua 24, 26. Where God's law was established, that's where he put it. And here he is, he's going to be king. He's standing right beside the law, but he wasn't following the law at all. 
He's like a wicked judge, putting his hand on the Bible or, or swearing to the Bible or any president or anyone of the Bible, and they're a wicked man who's in, in power. It's just the hypocrisy is amazing. But the law was right there. But Israel refused to read or heed that law. And it appears Abimelech became the first person ever to be crowned king in Israel right here. His unsuccessful rule, however, ran over the divine requirements of that office. He was going to fall. Rise and fall of power. Because you didn't do it God's way. Now look here in verses 7 through 15. We see a parable of the trees that... uh, a young man uh, of the youngest of the 70, right? Uh, Yotham's warning to Abimelech and the people. Look what happens here. He says, now when they told Yotham that he went and stood on the top of Mount Gerizim and lifted his voice and cried out, and he said to them, listen to me, you men of Shechem, that God may listen to you. The trees which went forth to anoint a king over them. And they said to the olive tree, reign over us. But the olive tree said to them, should I cease giving my oil with which they honor God and men and go to sway over trees? Then the tree said to the fig tree, you come and reign over us. But the fig tree said to them, Should I cease my sweetness and my good fruit and go to sway over trees? Then the tree said to the vine, You come and reign over us. But the vine said to them, Should I cease my new wine, which cheers both God and men, and go to sway over trees? Then all the trees said to the bramble, You come and reign over us. And the bramble said to the trees, If in truth you anoint me as king over you, then come and take shelter in my shade. But if not, let fire come out of the bramble and devour the cedars of Lebanon. A parable of the trees. See, Yotham was the only son of Gideon to escape the massacre at the stone, there in verse 5. Here, he told a parable to rebuke the men of Shechem for making the decision to put Abimelech in a position of power. God had given this clearly to make it very clear through this parable that their choice of Abimelech as king was not wise whatsoever and this is what's going to happen as a consequence for you doing what you did. And so he made this speech from the top of Mount Gerizim, the mountain from which Israel heard the blessings of God pronounced upon the obedient. If you're obedient, there's blessing. If you're disobedient, there's cursing. Go back to Deuteronomy 11.29, Deuteronomy 27.12, Joshua 8.33. That 
took place 150 years prior to this moment. So 150 years have passed. They have completely have not remembered, let alone passed down from generation upon generation of what God said there at Mount Gerizim. But in the parable told by Yertham, the worthy trees, such as the olive, the fig, and the vine, didn't want to be king. But the unworthy bramble agreed to be king. The promise of the bramble, what does it say? The promise, take shelter in my shade. It was almost like ironic. It's almost kind of foolish that you would, and almost ridiculous. You're ridiculous to think you can go under a bramble, which is a low, thorny bush. It cannot offer you the shade from the heat of the day. It cannot protect you. It's not going to comfort you. It's not going to give you the security, the surety, coming under the authority of a bramble. A king who has no strength and has no ability to do what you're expecting that man to do. But he says, this parable says, offers shade to no one, especially to trees. How is a tree going to be shaded by a little bush? A little thorny bush. But then it goes on and he says, here's the consequences there at the very end. But if not, let the fire come. Let the fire come out of what? The bramble. What does that mean? Well, the bramble warned that he would be an oppressive ruler and a destroyer of anyone who disagrees with him. That's what kind of ruler they put in place. Abimelech will be a ruler who will be so oppressive and will destroy anyone who disagrees with them. One of the tests of character of a man is to see how he treats those who disagree with him. If his only desire is to destroy those who disagree, then he is much like the bramble in the parable. Plenty of good points, but no real substance for good. Now, Yotham applies the parable, and here in verses 16 through 21, and he makes it very clear of the fact that the city of Shechem is going to pay for the decisions of allowing Abimelech to be in power. Now, therefore, if you have acted in truth and sincerity in making Abimelech king, pause there for a minute, this is sarcasm. <laughs> this is this is. You can kind of see him said, now, if you guys had the right heart about this, if you really are doing, you think you are doing the right thing in doing this, you can see it set up. Watch this. And if you have dealt with, well, with Yerubbabel, Gideon, and his house, and have done to him as he deserves, for my father fought for you. The youngest is saying, wait a minute. My dad fought, gave his life. He was willing to give his life for you? Don't forget this. He risked his life and delivered you out of the hand of Midian. He saved your behinds. But you have risen up against my father's house this day. 
and killed his 70 sons on one stone and made Abimelech the son of his maidservant? Because remember, Abimelech came from Gideon's maidservant and made king over the men of Shechem. Why? Because he is your brother? If then you have acted in truth and in sincerity with Yerubbabel, with his house this day, then rejoice in Abimelech. Let him also rejoice in you. But, it's not a good but, but if not, let fire come from Abimelech and devour the men of Shechem and Beth Milio. And let fire come from the men of Shechem and from Beth Milio and devour Abimelech. And Yotham ran away and fled and he went to Beer and dwelt there for the fear of Abimelech, his brother. This young man had enough courage to speak the truth and direct truth. And then he got wise and said, I better get out of here because I just set myself up for guaranteed. I hid. I came out to speak the truth. Now I'm going to go back into hiding because I know what's going to happen. But Yotham raised this just, just truth for the sake of argument. He's just, are you, are you really serious? Are you really being truthful here? You really think Abimelech is the right person and over all for over me. I mean, he's the only one left now. Over Hill and his sons. You think Gideon would have selected him to overrule? I don't know. It would not have happened. He did not believe that 68 of his brothers would, were murdered for the sake of the truth and sincerity here. He couldn't convince him of that. The only reason why you picked him is because he's just like you. Because he is your brother. The real reason for the men of Shechem supported Abimelech was because they expected he will do whatever they wanted him to do because he, they put him in power. They paid for him to be in power. And so now I paid you to be in power and you're one of us. You're going to do whatever is going to benefit us. And so Abimelech's mother, though only a maidservant to Gideon, was from Shechem. And Abimelech probably grew up in Shechem, Judges 8.31. Now when Yotham said, let fire come from Abimelech and devour the men of Shechem, what is he saying here? It's exactly what he's saying. Jotham's warning to the men of Shechem was that you selected this guy and that was a very unwise choice and would come back to bite you. It's going to hurt. It's going to burn because of your decision of this. And he predicted that fire would come forth from Abimelech and devour them. And after this bold warning, he ran away and fled for fear of his life because he knew how wicked Abimelech and these men would be. But the prophecy of Yotham was not to be immediately fulfilled. We will find this prophecy that he spoke in the parable of the trees will come to fruition three years later. It will be manifested. Watch. Now, look here. This is an interesting verses 22 through 25. After Abimelech had reigned over Israel for how many years? Three years. God set a spirit of ill will between Abimelech and the men of Shechem. 
Do you want me to read that again? Yes, it's exactly what that meant. God himself sent a spirit of ill will between Abimelech and the men of Shechem. God is in control of all things. And the men of Shechem dealt treacherously with Abimelech that the crime done to the 70 sons of Uruzbel might be settled and their blood be laid on Abimelech, their brother, who killed them, and on the men of Shechem, who aided him in the killing of his brothers. Because they did aid him. They paid for it, and they encouraged whatever it took to be in power. And the men of Shechem sent men in ambush against him on the tops of the mountains, and they robbed all who passed by them along that way, and it was told Abimelech. So it comes down three years of reigning. They find out Abimelech is just not what he called, you know, cut out to be the leader that they were expecting and hoping. They got, enti- they got tired of the man. You've been in power for three years. We're done with you. We're going to get rid of you. So what did they do? They're trying to inflict pain. How do they inflict pain here? The verses tell us everything seemed to be fine with the men of Shechem for about three years. And then, in judgment, God removed the peace that was between them and sent the spirit of ill will to cause division between them. See, we see the same thing, the same thing where God intervenes in a way that's very unique that most people are challenged with. 1 Samuel eleven six, 6, when God sent a spirit of jealousy upon Saul, God did that. And again in Isaiah nineteen fourteen, when God sent a spirit of perverseness upon the people to make change. Note, demons, evil spirits, even Satan himself cannot function outside of God's permissive will. We see that clearly in Job 1. God gave the devil approval or allowance to enter into or work upon their minds and hearts of these people knowing that he of himself and by his own inclinations would fulfill them with mistakes and jealousies and dissensions and heartburns and thorns in their sides, which would end in civil wars and mutual ruin. And God said, let the devil have your way with these people. See, the extent that Abimelech's kingdom was very limited, Many, I mean, if you really kind of look at this, he, they might have, his only his power might have only been it was limited to just Shechem and Bethlehem and uh, Aramah, Arama, which is in Judges when we get to verse forty one, and uh, Theobes, which is in verse fifty. He might have been just ruler over those sections of the of the of the country. It was within his jurisdiction part of the portion of the western Manasseh area. With the intent probably to try to be the rule over all of Israel's king. But we remember in this moment, nothing can happen to us without the Lord allowing it. We can take comfort 
in the fact that God is in control of you and I as a child of God. We're in his hand and nothing can touch it unless his father filtered first. But if the Lord allowed, then there's an important lesson that you and I will learn. If God allows something like this, something to come in, there's a lesson to be learned by one or both or both of both of the of the parties in that situation. But as a child of God, we must trust him and what he knows what's best. We must seek him in the situation and you and I will see why he allowed it to come into our lives. And that is so true. If you've ever been in that situation, you see it very true why. The key is in making sure you seek God, trust him in the situation, and eventually he will allow us to understand why he allowed that to take place. But we see here, the men of Shechem decided they're going to set up an ambush on the people because they knew one way to get after a ruler is to impact financial, have a financial impact on a leader. You want to bring down a leader and mess up a leader? Just start messing with the finances of, the, of, of his kingdom. And so the men of Shechem, we see, set men in ambush against on these mountains. Why? Because in, by doing that and setting these ambushes on top of roads, they're hoping to disrupt the trade routes and the profitability that Embelech, uh, Abimelech was experiencing because he was collecting the taxes, as they say, collecting all the goods as people were coming and going. But this would have affected the reducing the number of travelers and caravans. Once the word got out, you could get ambushed. Don't go that direction. Now, what do we see in today's world today? It still plays out that same way. Nations are impeding commerce and trade to cause cause problems to bring about a change in leadership and power and who's has what and what who gets what watch our news it's playing out exactly why why is china doing what they're doing why is russia doing what they're doing why are the united states doing what they're doing it's because of the rise and fall of power we see in verses 26 through 29 the men of Shechem did not want Abimelech any longer. They decided to choose a new leader. So now Gaal, the son of Ebed, came with his brothers and went over to Shechem. And the men of Shechem put their confidence in him. So they went out into the fields and gathered grapes from their vineyards and trotted them and made merry. Oh, they're going to have a party. Celebration. And they went into the house of their God and ate. Now notice it's a, low, a, a small G, not a big G. They didn't go into, uh, but to worship their false God. And they ate and drank. They ate and drank in their temple. Isn't that just wonderful? You know? And cursed Abimelech. Then Gaal, the son of Ebed, said, Who is Abimelech? He knows who Abimelech is. He's like, who is he? He's nothing. There's a nobody here. And who was Shechem that we should serve him? Is he not the son of Yerubbabel? And is not Zebul his officer? Serve the men of Hamar, the father of Shechem. 
But why should we serve him? If only these people were under my authority, then I would remove Abimelech. And so he said to Abimelech. So he said to Abimelech. Now you think Abimelech's right there. He's not there. He's like, ah, oh, I'll say to Abimelech, increase your army and come out. He's basically challenging him. It's like a bunch of guys hanging around. Oh, who, who is that guy over there? Oh, he's nothing. Big deal. He, I, I'll meet him outside of school. We'll, we're going to have a fight. Yeah, yeah. The guy's not even there. He's just trash talking. Why? Because they've been drinking. One of the main reasons why you don't want to drink alcohol has a tendency to make you say things you wish you never said. So what happens? We see that the men of Shechem lost their confidence in Abimelech. They decide to choose a new leader. Then the men were so confident in their new leader of Gaul, could protect them and provide something that's better than what Abimelech would ever be able to do, started throwing drunken parties and openly cursing Abimelech and challenging him to a fight. Even though Abimelech wasn't even there. What happens? Verse 33. Then Zebul, the ruler of the city, heard the words of Gaal, the son of Ebed. His anger was aroused. (laughs) The city manager was not a happy camper hearing what was going on here. Why? Because this guy, Zebul, is a double agent. He was a city manager, but he was also uh, working for Abimelech and, and loyal to Abimelech right here. Look what happens. He got angry when he heard this, and he sent message to Abimelech secretly saying, Take note, Gaal, the son of Ebed, and his brothers showed up in town here, have come to Shechem, and here they are fortifying the city against you. They're getting them all rallied around them to be the new leader. Now, therefore, get up by night. Don't waste your time here. you got to get up. This is serious. Get up by night, you and the people who are with you, and lie and wait in the field. And it shall be as soon as the sun is up in the morning that you shall rise early and rush upon the city. And when he and the people who are with him come out against you, you may then do to them as you find opportunity. So the double agent... Always, always, always people, some people's watching. And their loyalty, you have no idea where their loyalty is. It's only a matter of time their loyalty will be revealed. So he made sure that Zerubbabel, Abimelech, knew what was happening. And Zebul was, is, was, I'm loyal to you, just so you know, and let's set up a, a game plan here so that they don't overrule you and you can continue to... Probably Abimelech set this guy, uh, Zebul, in the position of authority of the city manager. So of course he's going to be loyal to him. So what happens in 34 to 41? So Abimelech and all the people who were with him rose by night and lay in wait against Shechem in four companies. When Gaal, the son of Ebed, went out and stood in the entrance to the city gate, Abimelech and the people who were with, with him rose from lying in wait. And when Gaal saw the people, he said to 
uh, Zebul, look, people are coming down from the tops of the mountains. But Zubel said to him, you see the shadows of the mountains as if they were men. Your, your eyes are playing tricks on you. Don't even, don't, you're crazy. Don't even think about it. So Gaal spoke again and said, see, people are coming down from the city, from the city of, of the land. And another company is coming from the diviners, the terabith tree. Then Zubal said to him, where indeed is your mouth now with which you said, who is Abimelech, that we should serve him? <laughs> now the city manager thinks he's got a little, hey, my boss is coming. You're in trouble. And now where you are, you, you, you seem so tough of a man speaking all kinds of stuff about Abimelech. Now he's coming down with his, his, these guys. Now what are you going to say? Are, you not, are, are not these the people whom you despise? Go out, if you will, and fight them now. So Gaal went out, leading the men of Shechem, and fought with Abimelech. And Abimelech chased him, and he fled from him, and many fell wounded to the very entrance of the gate. Then Abimelech dwelt at Aramah, and Zubal drove out Gaal and his brothers. So the city manager said, I got power now. I'm getting these guys out of here. So that they would not dwell in Shechem. So they couldn't rule. So Abimelech agreed to the plan, followed the plan, as suggested by Zebul. It worked just fine. Zebul was deceiving Gaal when he was sitting there going, I think I... And he gave him enough time for the, you know, to Abimelech to get his guys into position of strength so that there's nothing to do. And it was forced him. He, he needed to go out and try to challenge him. He wasn't going to challenge him. He was overcome. He wasn't prepared for an ambush, it appears. He was not able to, had tremendous disadvantage being, uh, not being uh, to, to, to resist in, in this, this moment. But the city manager here, Zebul, had no problem rebuking him and making of it, being so proud and arrogant of his words and the way he spoke about Abimelech and how he was going to beat him up and all these kinds of things. And sure enough, Gaal was not, the new leader was not in a position to deal with a siege by Abimelech. But look what happens. Verse 42 to 45, it came about on the next day that the people went out into the field and they told Abimelech. So he took his people, divided them into three companies and lay in wait in the field. And he looked and there were the people coming out of the city. And he rose against them and attacked them. Then Abimelech and the company that was with him rushed forward and stood at the entrance of the gate of the city. And the other two companies rushed upon all who were in the fields and killed them. So Abimelech fought against the city all that day. He took the city and killed the people who were in it. And he demolished the city and sowed it with salt. So it appears that the resistance of Gaal defeated, you know, was defeated by Abimelech. And if that first fight the day before, it took care of certain things, but then 
it appears the people seem to be, okay, they've gone. We're fine. We've closed up the city. We're protected. Now we let's go back out and just, you know, get outside the city again and let's let's get our food and let's just act like and just let's put our normal day back into routine here because they attacked us. Now they've gone. No, that's not what happened. They laid there. Someone came out and told them, hey, they're going to be coming back out. The city's going to open up. They're going to go back into normal routine here. But sure enough, Abimelech got his three companies in order this time. And he effectively attacked and killed the people and even got into the city and actually attacked the city and everything. So uh, now it's a, this is Abimelech's hometown. He wiped out all the people from his own hometown who had turned against him. So the people apparently confident in the matter that was at hand, they thought they would still continue to live on and be fined, but it didn't turn out to be that way. He, Abimelech became so angry and so furious that he, his fury came upon the people of Shechem, his own people that he grew up in, with. But these are the same people who put him in power. When they turned on him, they, that person will turn on you in a heartbeat. When you see an evil heart, someone, you, one moment you're the best of friends and they're so encouraging, they're helping you and becoming into the power and position of leadership. And as soon as you don't do what they want you to do, it's immediately they'll turn on you and then that leader will have no problem turning around and taking them out. See it played out over history. And not only did he demolish the city, but he sowed it with salt, meaning they, he salted it so nothing would grow. No one would be able to make a living there. When do we see this city ever coming back? Shechem, we see it in 1 Kings 12, 25. When you, when you look up Shechem, it was not rebuilt until the reign of Jer, uh, Jeroboam, uh, almost two centuries later before that city was able to be, come back in any form or fashion. Now, this whole situation it just, just shows you the problem of following a man who comes to power through violence and through corruption and immoral ways. And commonly, is the only matter of time until the same violence will be turned against those who helped him to be, come into power. It's, it's, just, it's just the way it works out. Now, we see in verse 46 to 49, Now when all the men of the tower of Shechem had heard that, that they entered the stronghold of the temple of the god of Bereth. And it was told Abimelech that all of the men of the town of Shechem were to get, gathered together. Then Abimelech went up to Mount Zalman, he and all of the people who were with him, and Abimelech took an axe in his hand and cut down a bull. A, a, a bow, which is a, like a main branch or a limb from a tree, and from the trees, and it took it and laid it on his shoulder. Then he said to the people who were with him, what, what you have seen me do, make haste and do as I have done. So each of the people likewise cut down his own bow and followed Abimelech, 
put them against the stronghold. Remember, this is the Tower of Shechem. So the guys who were overseeing the, and the guards of the Shechem and the, the Tower of Shechem and all that, they're still in the stronghold. They didn't get a hold of them. Now they're there because they find out these guys have locked themselves in the Tower of Shechem. They're still in the town even though you wiped out the rest. So what does Abimelech, uh, Abimelech do? He says, come on, let's go up to the mountain here. I'm going to cut a huge branch off. I'm carrying a big tree limb down with me. You all do the same thing. That's a lot of wood. What is he going to do with all those limbs? Well, he set them, the stronghold on fire above them. So he laid them all against the stronghold, set the stronghold on fire above them so that all the people of the Tower of Shechem died, about a thousand men and women. What did the prophecy say? Yotam said, you're going to die by fire. And sure enough, that prophecy came true right here. They were all taken out by fire. All the people of the Tower of Shechem, all those leaders, all those who ran into strongholds, went to high grounds, tried to find security within that, those strongholds, those towers, and, and uh, Abimelech was smart enough, we're just going to burn this thing. It's going to be a tower of fernal. Just go on fire. Boom. So Abimelech massacred the last survivals of the city of Shechem, killing about that thousand men and women, it says right here, and in graphically fulfilling the warning of Yotham early in the chapter here in verses 19 and 20. See, for the people of Shechem, even a secure tower could not protect them. Some people rely upon chariots. They rely upon the power of the nation, their money, their own strength, the name of their family name. All kinds of people will look to rely upon some secure tower thinking they're going to be fine. Yet there is more secure tower in the Tower of Shechem but not compared to what the Lord offers you and I. Proverbs 18.10, the name of the Lord is the strong tower and the righteous run to it and are safe. Do we need to run to a, a tower for security and safety and for, for run to the Lord? Psalm 61.3, for you have been a shelter for me, a strong tower from the enemy. When someone comes against you, who do you turn to? What do you do? What do you rely upon? You rely upon the Lord. He will be your high tower. Verse 50 through 55. Then Abimelech went to Tibats, Tibates, and he encamped against Tibates and took it. But there was a strong tower in the city. Oh, another! every city had a strong tower. That they, that's what they ran, ran to when the enemy comes against them. And all the men and the women and all the people of the city fled there and shut themselves in. Then they went up to the top of the tower. So Abimelech came as far as the tower and fought against it. And he drew near the door of the tower to burn it with fire. See, he's going to use the same methodology. But, this is a good but, but... A certain woman dropped an upper millstone on Abimelech's head and crushed his skull. He was so confident of what he was doing, you could almost see him. 
Guys, we've seen this before. Are they crazy? You ain't gonna get away with this. Bring the wood. Let me go into the door. Let's stack this time up. I bought. Follow me. Boop. A millstone dropped and crushed his skull. And he called quickly to the young man. So enough to be alert to make a decision. And what was that decision? Didn't cry out to the Lord. Cried out to the young man, his armor bearer, and he said to him, Draw your sword and kill me, lest men say of me, a woman killed him. <laughs> Such pride. <laughs> Such pride playing out right there. Last thing he wants to do is be remembered the fact that he was killed by a woman. Is that the most prideful? Think about this. So his young man thrust him through and he died. And when the men of Israel saw that Abimelech had, was dead, their leader they departed and every man to his place. So it's interesting. You know, after his barrel of brutal victory, I should say, at the Tower of Shechem, Abimelech probably thought he was an expert at attacking people and he's invincible now. This city was probably was an alliance of Shechem and that, that place is 10 miles away from Shechem. They said, let's go take the next city because they're an alliance. We don't want them to turn on us, maybe. So what do they do? They go to this little place called Tebates and attack the city and the tower there. But what they didn't expect is that Tibets, even though they were locked up and it looked like the same situation was going to happen, a woman was wise enough to drop a millstone probably about 10 to 14 inches long and weighed about five pounds or more that was used for grinding and said, I can use this thing. Boop! Took him out. I think we call this a splitting headache. So Abimelech considered it, uh, it was more manlier to have a young armor bearer to kill him than to be even known in history that a woman killed him. But what he didn't understand is that God is going to preserve in his word the fact that this woman, we don't even know the name of this woman, right? All we know, he was so proud even in death he had to answer to God for this wicked action, even to that degree. Yet along, after his death, the credit continues to be given to this woman, even noted in 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 21. So this woman joins Deborah and Jael as women God used to overcome something that seemed to be invincible type warriors. God used these three women to take them out, to humble them. Not, you know, they didn't humble them. Well, because they all died. But this is just the hand of God to take out Abimelech. And upon one stone, Abimelech murdered 70 of his brethren. On one stone. And that one stone is the one that smashed his head and split it open. He's stolen the crown. He had become a king on his own right, in his own power. And now his head is struck. Verses 56 and 57. Thus God repaid the wickedness of Abimelech. 
Notice that? God repaid the wickedness of Abimelech, which he had done to his father by killing his 70 brothers. And all the evil of the men of Shechem, God returned on their own heads. Notice that. God returned on their own heads, and on them came the curse of Yotham, the son of Zerubbabel. So, God repaid it. We can be certain that God will repay wickedness. Anytime there's wickedness, you can be assured God will take care of the wickedness. You do not have to do it. Either in this life or the life to come, he's going to deal with that wickedness. Often God finds a way to do it both in this life and the life to come, but God is in control over that. And notice here, on them came the curse of Yotham, the son of Zerubbabel. God had warned the men of Shechem through Jotham. Remember? Yotham said, this is going to happen. You chose this guy and there's going to be fire. And they rejected the warning of God through this young man. And they came to ruin. We should each consider if God is warning us about something in the present time. We should listen when we sense, I think God is warning me here. The story of Abimelech and his men of Shechem and Yotham shows us that there is a real and terrible price to pay for rejecting God's warnings. But note two things in this whole story. First, the peril of ambition. Abimelech's problem was ambition to be in charge, to lead, and to be in control. Big trouble. The word says God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble, James 4, 6. And this is why we are to humble ourselves under his mighty hand in order that he will exalt us in due time, 1 Peter 5, 6. Also look at Matthew 5, 5. And the second lesson from this, notice the principle of sowing and reaping. Whatever a man sows, that shall he also reap, Galatians 6, 7. Think twice before you rise to power. Think twice before you want to rule. Think twice before you want to be in control. By wicked ways, the rise and the fall of power is very costly to a man and to those who put him in power. May God deliver us from walking in the steps of Abimelech. Amen? Father, we thank you and praise you for your word tonight. Thank you for the lessons learned, Lord. May we apply it, remember it, learn it, apply it consistently in our lives. The truths that you have for us through your word. We thank you, Holy Spirit, to be enlightening us of the truths and applying it to our lives correctly. We recognize, God, you're in control and you see all things, knows all things, and you're everywhere, Lord. And may we humbly follow you. In Jesus' name, amen.